Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home services marketplace. And Angie is here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. My son needed a major yard cleanup at his new home. We went straight to the Angie website and found a bunch of local, reliable, and affordable pros to handle the job, and one did pronto. Angie can help you find the best price for your project. Angie lets you request and compare quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. Angie has cost guides that tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and in your area. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. The app and website are free to use. Hello, and a big shout out to Podcast Land and our listeners, old and new. Thank you for joining us. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. We're glad you're all here. Our flagship is the John Solomon Just the News. So we highly recommend John's platform as well. He has all sorts of things on it from podcasts to news articles, but also his own investigative reporting, which is stellar. So please um, have a look at Just the News. We are on Friday and we have a news roundup and we've got lots of news on the agenda today. So lots to talk about. Stay with us and we'll be right back after these messages. Can't pay the IRS? Haven't filed in a while? Receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA has brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, They've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit TNUSA.com slash Victor. TNUSA.com slash Victor. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. 
Welcome back. And I would like to remind everybody that Victor is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow in Military History and Classics at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. And you can find him at his website, victorhanson.com. And the name of the website is The Blade of Perseus. So come join us either for a free subscription and get on our mailing list or a subscription for $5 a month or $50 a year to read also the Victor VDH Ultra articles. So please come join us. Victor, we have so much news going on today. I, I was hoping we could start with some of the smaller stories. Um, Megan Rapinoe uh, just missed her the final play, the final thing in the Women's Soccer World Cup for the United States. They left uh, the World Cup now, of course, having lost. And it was a uh, penalty kick, which she's especially known for. But I think that in our country, she's also known for taking the knee since about 1916, her refusal to go to the White House in 2019. Um, I'm sorry, I said 1916. I meant 2016 when she took the knee when the national anthem. And then just recently, the whole, a lot of the t- soccer team um, did not want to sing the national anthem. And people were pointing out that is a big difference from other countries where they sing very heartily. I was wondering if you had any reflections on Megan Rapinoe. Yes, there's three Megan Rapinoe's. You got to remember that. There's Ra- Megan Rapinoe who now is a 38-year-old over-the-hill soccer player, as anybody would be at that age in a, in a sport that requires constant running. So she's not the greatest soccer player in the world. She never was female. But she was pretty good. But she's been doing this for 20 years. So this idea that she's the anchor of the women's soccer team, or the whole it's just ridiculous. So she was a soccer player. And she played professional soccer for a variety of teams. And we, I can remember back in 2016, 2012, when she was, you know, playing in the World Cup. Okay, that's one person, an athlete. And then there's Megan Rapinoe, the activist or the public figure. And by that, I mean, she came out very early, I think, in college as gay. And then she developed sort of a gay look. She has this dyed hair and she marketed herself as a cutting edge heroic athlete that was weathering all sorts of prejudicial slurs and biases because of her sexuality. Although in this day and age, being gay is probably an advantage rather than a disadvantage in popular youth culture. So she used that to create a figure that was not commiserate with her actual importance to the game of women's soccer. She was, and she, she knitted it. She, her model was Colin Kaepernick. So she started not saluting the flag or standing for the national anthem after she saw what he was doing. She said he suffered so much. No, she, what she was really saying is he's made so much money, like $50 million as a spokesman for sneakers. And so she began her third life, not soccer player, 
not courageous left-wing activists that praised Obama and convinced the, the soccer team, not most of them, not to stand for the national anthem or not to go to the Trump White House after they won, but a third and most important persona. So the Megan Rapinoe, the athlete, and Reagan, Megan Rapinoe, the athletic activist, are minor characters. The major character was she was a huckster. She sold, she wrote her autobiography. She sold it. She sold the film rights to it. She started hawking um, stylish clothes, women's soccer, sports apparel. She was speaking. She started being interviewed. I think she was the first gay swimsuit athlete woman in Sports Illustrated. She gave interviews nonstop. And she made millions of dollars. So then how to conclude do we reconcile this? There's one thing that you can reconcile, that she has no character and she's a narcissist. Why do I say that? Because nobody in women's soccer has been treated better than she has, despite her outspoken political views. She was somebody that was given more media attention more endorsements, more sponsorships, more presidential and government uh, invitations, more spokespersons uh, opportunities for corporate. She is a creature of corporate America. She's fabulously wealthy. That's who she is. And what is the final persona of these? What's the bind, the tie that binds all three sportswoman, left-wing activists using her sport to make a political career versus the main one is getting rich off the whole shebang is she's full of ingratitude. All she can do is make fun, trash, and criticize her own country. And she grew up in the middle class. She went to college. She got, um, based on her hard work and her athletic ability, she had all sorts of opportunities. She was not shunned. Uh, she's in America. She's not in Iran. She's not in Cuba. She's not in China. So if a young woman wants to be openly gay and marry another woman or live with another woman, fine. That's what we do in the West. But she has no appreciation of that fact. So she immediately played the victim that she was the object of sexual oppression. She wasn't. And then she saw a niche, just like uh, Mulvaney did with the beer commercial, that in this popular culture, you can make a lot of money out of being gay and an athlete and young and female and persecuted. Got to be persecuted. You've got to be one of the victims and one of the oppressed. So she did that. And she was obnoxious. And she, as I said, this country gave her everything. What was so hard about just standing up for the national anthem? What was so hard to just for just one passing nanosecond think, you know what? This country is not Iran. And this country is not China. This country is not Venezuela. This country is not North Korea. This country is not even like Japan or other Europe countries. It's, it's freer than any country in the world. And maybe, just maybe, it's because somebody was gassed at Bellawood and kept fighting. Maybe, just maybe, 
somebody in a B-17 got blown up trying to stop the Wehrmacht. Maybe, just maybe, somebody at the Battle of Midway was on the Yorktown when it sank. Maybe somebody was blown up in the Arizona and skeleton and still down below the water. Can't she just for a second in her ignorance think of all the people who died, all the people who sacrificed so that she would have the freedom to trash the country that they died for? No. Answer, no, no, no. She's the athletic. She's sort of like Barack Obama, who's an ultimate narcissist, who all he could do and all he could say would be whether it was hijacking John Lewis's funeral or going on as president on the apology tour. All he could do is trash the United States or say that it was not exceptional or, you know, it was racist or the filibuster that he used so effectively as a senator was a Jim Crow relic. She's the same type, cut from the same cloth. And it's a very strange thing about this generation, my generation, a little much younger generation, that they're absolutely full of ingratitude. They never once, and you know, it's not their fault entirely because they don't take any courses in civics. They don't know any songs about America. They don't know any, what the holidays are based on. If you ask Megan Rapinoe what the 4th of July was about, she wouldn't know. If you ask her any basis, uh, basic fact about her country, she wouldn't know. But she would know to tell you that it's no good. And she'll tell you that it's no good all the way to the bank. And she's going, so when she missed that kick and she didn't even get close. I mean, everybody said, well, she's one of the, but no, 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 Sammy. She's 38 years old. She's a husband. She shouldn't, we, she wouldn't be on that team competitively at that age. And what she's done recently, if she wasn't famous, she's the one that brings the attention to the women's soccer. And all all she could say when she was, you know, she laughed for a second. A fan came up to her not too long ago and she pushed him away. All she could say after laughing and then all, all she could say, she looked back in her career, greatest moment. Did the team win the World Cup? No, it was... A, fighting for equality and making sure that women get the same pay, equal work for equal pay. Well, that's not how capitalism works in sports. I'm sorry. Somebody who plays uh, for the Los Angeles Lakers tends to make more than somebody who plays for the Houston Rockets. If the Lakers win, 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 win. You're a competitive athlete. You know that if you win, 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 and you can draw people in, and that's what you were trying to do, by putting yourself out there, not your teammates. I never heard her talk so much about her teammates. It was always about me, 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 me. Whether it was attacking Trump or talking about racism or praising Colin Kaepernick, it was me, 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 me. And my line of sportswear and my line of apparel and my interview and my sports, all of this, my autobiography, okay, that's what she did. But she shouldn't, if she didn't succeed, and what would success mean? Did she have the audience and did she bring in enough people that she would, on, in a free market society, garner as much profitability as male soccer players? I think the answer is no. So, and according to her own, I don't know, dipping her own toe in the corporate world, she, that she said to herself, Think what she's saying, Sammy. She says, hmm, I'm a young, fit, gay woman with purple hair. That's my trademark. Sometimes green, sometimes yellow, sometimes purple, but that's my trademark. 
And I can parlay that into the marketplace of goods and services for a lot of money. And I'm going to get more money than any of these women on this team. And I'm not going to share it with them because I believe in <laughs> capitalism. Of course but, not. But, but I don't like the male soccer players because they get more money because they get more fans and endorsements. Yes, <laughs> exactly. That's what exactly. So you like to play capitalist when you're the head honcho on your team, but you don't like it when your team is not the head honcho in soccer. Well, go out and make it. You know, you did pretty well. You elevated women's soccer, but you didn't get quite the kind of money you got for everybody else. I bet if you took a poll of her teammates, she wouldn't be very popular. No, so, probably not. She's so not popular with us either. So. I mean, that's you her saw fifth that, if you saw that, I used to watch soccer. I'm not, I don't like soccer. I'd be frank about it. I don't know much about it, but I used to watch it. I lived two miles from a school where there's very good Mexican soccer teams and they play. And I watch them when I drive by. Sometimes I slow down and I watch them. And I can tell you that that kick that she missed, it wasn't even close. It was way over the top of the way over. post. There's about 20 young Mexican guys there that I watched that could all have made that kick, every one of them. <laughs> and so the idea that, you know, this is, I don't know, I just get so tired of it. Piers Morgan, who's kind of a himself has some problems, but boy, he wrote a really good column about her. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. It was almost to the extent, I don't know if I, it was almost to the extent that he was happy that they lost, given that the the shame that they brought to the United States. When you saw that picture of all those young little girls that were standing in front, and they were all solemn. And then the Vietnamese team that was all patriotic. And this is for a communist dictatorship. Yeah. And you had these affluent, upper-middle-class American women, and they're all got a surly look on their face, and all but three will not even salute the flag or stand, stand at attention for the, I thought, wow. That's what people at Okinawa died for, for those people. And they would probably say, yeah, Victor, that's what we died for, for people to be, have the freedom to be a stupid idiot. Yeah. And I guess that's what the country's about. But at mm -hmm. some point, you need more people that are not like Megan Rapinoe than are like Megan Rapinoe. When yeah. the country is 51% Megan Rapinoe's, then it's not going to be here anymore because what yeah. she does does not create and perpetuate the United States civilization. Yeah. It just doesn't. It's not sustainable. Yeah. Well, speaking of people that are not like Megan Rapinoe, we also in California here had recently in Stockton, California, an Indian American who had his quick shop, um, can I say, invaded by a man with a garbage can on wheels who was just scooping his product off the shelf and going to take off, or at least he thought. And then he found out that wasn't going to happen because the Indian guy had his accomplice. They stopped him and they started beating him. And it reminded me of a caning of some sort. But just desserts. I've heard audiences clap for that video. What I was wondering if you had any thoughts on it. Yeah, I do. I mean, I don't read the Fresno Bee anymore because it used to be a, and I knew the McClatchy family, and it was a professional organization, and it was center left, but they were classically liberal. It's been taken over by wokesters, and it's, and it's bankrupt. Nobody has no circulation. But I think it was the Modesto Bee said, you can't continue to do this. 
what these shopkeepers did because it would not you wouldn't have a rule of law. Hello. We don't have a rule of law. That's why the guy walked in there with a trash can. I think it was one of her second. Like third time. It was third the time. Third yeah, he walked in. He said, you know what? There's no law in America, Modesto B. Where have you been? You can do whatever you want. We can go in here and loot the whole damn store. And I'm a black thief and nobody's going to dare do anything to me because I've done it. And they don't do anything because there's no rule of law. So these immigrant, I guess, first or second generation, they said, there's a law in my store. You're not going to do it again. And what did they not do? What did they not do when I don't know if he was armed or not? There were suggestions that he may have given some sign that he might have been armed. He was yelling. He was defiant. They took they tackled him. OK, they wanted to stop and they wanted to enforce the law and stop theft. And so what did they not do? One guy got out a, a stick and he hit him in the legs and rear end. Did he hit him in the head and knock him out? No. Did he hit him in the throat? No. Did he hit him in the back and the kidneys and rupture his kidneys? No. Did they kick him in the face? No. Did they shoot him? No. They gave him an old-fashioned paddling with a stick, <laughs> mostly in his – they humiliated him, and they hit him in the rear end, and they kept doing it till he started crying, basically. Mr. Tough Guy, who nobody can – he started crying and squealing, and <laughs> – Everybody was happy because they've seen it everywhere in this country. And there is no law. There is no law against shopkeeping, uh, shoplifting anymore. It's mm. it's gone. People it's do sad. it all the time. Yeah. And these people have said, I love what the what the editorial, we can't go into vigilanteism. Vigilanteism. Oh, yes, yes, we can. It's <laughs> vigilanteism is a reaction. It's not a force in of itself. It's not the norm of society, but it is a reaction when there is no rule of law. When there is a rule of law, the shopkeepers would have said, ah, I saw him take one pack of cigarettes, call the police. A police would be there in about three minutes. They would say, hold on. They would put him in cuffs and say, wait a minute. Now you show me the video. They would show him the video and they would take him in and they would charge him probably with a felony. And he would be in jail for 180 days or something. And, you know, that's yeah. that's and then he wouldn't do it again, would he? Or and he nor would people like, like him do it again. Exactly. No, they no, would nobody would be no, deterrent it, to anybody just trying to take a I know I, package I, of cigarettes. <laughs> I keep quoting it ad nauseum, but it was Voltaire and Candide that had a little aside. He said the English got very strange. I was talking about the hanging of Admiral Bing. Every once in a while, they hang an admiral to encourage the others. And that's what you, <laughs> that's what you do. You have to every once in a while set an example and then you can create or recreate lost deterrence. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And very easy and the, for the people. Modesto B says, oh, you can't do that. I would love to see that same character walk into the offices of the Modesto B and just go along each carol with each reporter and pick up their laptops and put them in that trash thing with wheels on it and just say, I'm leaving with your laptops. And they would say, hmm, we don't dare hit you because that would be vigilante. Go ahead and take them. No, they wouldn't. They would squeal. They'd yell. They'd this or that. Sort of like that video that contemporaneously is is circulating of a young woman in San Francisco. And she's kind of 
gives the impression she's one of the wokesters in San Francisco. And she says she's walking on the street, come out of there. And this guy came up to me and he spit at me in the face. And I said, what did you do? What's not what? He said, stop it or I'll rape you. This is in San Francisco. I'm scared. I don't know what to do. Yes, this is what happens when you destroy civilization. Civilization takes centuries to create and you can wipe it out in the generation or sooner. And people who vote or support these Soros elected, that's kind of a generic term, Soros elected, but it's accurate. These district attorneys who feel that they're going to practice lawfare and not follow the law. And and basically, you can see whether nihilists or anarchists are basically saying, I don't like people who are in the middle class. I don't think that by playing in the, by the rules and working hard, they get their little skis or jet skis or their Winnipeg. I don't like that bourgeoisie materialism. So I'm going to unleash the criminal class and let them strike back because they have been oppressed by capitalism. These people profited and will even it out. So go to it. And that's what's been happening for three years. You know, the, I was looking at this. David Brooks wrote a, a, a column that I mentioned with Jack. Are we to blame? Well, yeah, you are, David, because at 2015, he wrote a really weird, I think it was 2014, maybe. You can look it up. He wrote a New York Times column. I can remember it. And he said, I just came to me and he said, why are we so down on America? This was the, one of the last years of Obama's administration. He said, our 20 great cities are the envy of the world. They're, they're completely successful. They're clean. They're safe. They're full of talented people. This is America. We're the strongest country in the world. Our economy is boom. How can we even be so depressed? Why are we just worrying about little things and whining when we have this wonderful life? And I'm thinking, yeah, we have this wonderful life because people are not listening to your side. They're just going about their business. But if we should turn the power over to you, your side, like Barack Obama, which we did. And where, where, would he write that column today, Sammy? Oh, no, why is America? No, we have 20 of the best cities in the world, like San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, Minneapolis, Los Angeles, Baltimore, Washington, Chicago, Detroit, uh, Memphis. Whoa, these are the places that the British and the French and the Swiss, they just love to come because they're so safe and exciting. The nightlife is so vibrant. There's so many talented people. And he says in the calm and it's racially diverse and multicultural. Yeah, they are. Sure are. And everybody wants to be there. Well, that's where we are. He wrote that under Obama, as you say, yeah, though. So yeah, he was yeah, trying yeah, yeah. to herald the wonders of the Obama administration. But what he was he basically doing. The, they're Obama trying to sowed, do that with Joe. They are but, trying to do that with Joe. They yeah, can't. But they sowed trying. they sowed the wind under Obama and they reaped the whirlwind under Biden. Trump was just a parenthesis. Yeah. He tried, he tried to stop this. The things that Obama had set into motion, but he had four years and then the COVID. COVID did him in, I mean, yeah. basically think he was going to be reelected, yeah. which begs the question, to what degree were Fauci and Burks and Collins and that whole crowd who were so eager to lock down the entire country and have a first ever national-wide um, quarantine to what degree do they really believe there was medical explanation, exegesis, substantiation, rationale for that? 
And to what degree they just wanted to screw things up when Trump was president. I know that sounds preposterous, but it's, it's hard to find any other reason why so so many supposedly learned and credentialed people would have acted so recklessly and dangerously to the body politic as they did. DeSantis we, we recently was addressing that. He said that Trump bought was the architect of his own demise. Oh, those are my words, but architect of his own demise. He turned he turned, quote, government over to Fauci, which led to the lockdowns that opened the door for mailing balloting. And Trump was the Trump's non-election was history. You know, it was all part of history. I, I had three. I wrote up. I think Trump did a wonderful job while he was in there. I had three criticisms of him and three. I didn't the tweets and all that and the crude language. I wasn't a big fan of it, but didn't it wasn't. Seen, I, I see it every day out here in the farm. Who cares? But yeah. my point, I had three. Number one, he brought some people into the White House that should have never been there. I'm talking about Omaroso. I like Steve Bannon. I met him a couple of times, but he had no business in, this, in the center of American power. And Omar, um, Scaramucci, the mooch, I mean, he made these appointments. And then he appointed people who were on the left in his cabinet. So when you get a guy like anonymous come out of Homeland Security, so, and I know why he did it. So everybody said, wait, why can you say that? I know why he did it. He had no political experience. He had no help from the Republican Party. The bi-coastal, bipartisan swamp hated his guts. Yes, but that was one. The second, he spent too much money. We were coming out of COVID and he set the stage for what Joe Biden would trump no pun intended, that is printing between the two of them about $8 trillion. There was no reason to keep pumping all that money and and these huge debts and deficit defi- deficits contributing to this huge debt if you're a Republican. Once a Republican is physically unsound, then the Democrats say, well, we can do it. Look at him. And, that's, yep. and then the third was the lockdown. And I, I mean that because I looked at, I wrote that, I thought, wow. Mr. President, these people are going to destroy you with this lockdown. You understand? You only have one person or two people who are telling you the truth. They are Scott Atlas, Jay Bacharya, and maybe John Yanides, Martin Kulendorf, uh, Dr. Curry. There's a few people, and he, he was not listening to them. Fauci was all over the media, and I think Trump thought, I, he's, I can't touch it. Rand Paul warned him. And then there were governors, and one of them was Ron DeSantis, another was Governor Abbott in Texas, and the other was the the governor of Georgia. And he attacked all of them and said, why are those states open? You're going to spread the virus. And they were trying to say, no, you're going to ruin the education for 20 years of young people. You're going to cause psychological problems. You're going to have missed uh, breast exams, miss PS, PSA tests, miss surgeries. You're going to have alcohol, spousal, drug abuse, suicides. You're going to create a national paranoid, hysteric, paranoid, hysterical population of the type we saw react to George Floyd. You couldn't tell him that. And so that yeah. was, and had he just said, you know what, I'm going for broke. This, this lockdown is destroying the economy. I'm not going to get reelected. People like Jane Fonda are saying that the lockdown was a gift from God. I mean, that COVID was because it gave us a lockdown to hurt me. Hillary said no white crisis should go to right waste. we got to use the lockdown. 
Gavin Newsom said we got to get a more progressive form of capitalism out of this lockdown. So I understand what they're doing to me. So it's off now, and I'll take it. And you know what, Mr. Fauci, Ms. Burks, you're fired. Mr. Collins, you're fired. And Scott, you take over CDC. Jay, you take over NHS, uh, NA, you know, the National Institute of Health, NIH, and maybe John Yanides or somebody like that from Stanford. <laughs> Stanford had three of the greatest uh, meta- public medical, public policy people in the medical field of any university. And it's so weird, isn't it? Yeah. but Bacharia and Atlas and what did... Three prophets in their own homeland that were despised by their own faculty and president. Mm-hmm. And they yeah. they attacked them without mercy. And, yeah. and they could have all come to the rescue had Trump invested political power in them. They would have stopped yeah. the lockdown. And I think Trump would have probably been reelected. Yeah. Well, Victor, let's go ahead and take a break and then come back and talk a little bit about an article that you just wrote for um, American Greatness. Stay with us and we'll be right back. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. We're back. This is the Victor Davis Hansen Show, and Victor is going to talk to us about a new article that you wrote, The Remaking of America, that talks about the true nature of the revolution that we are currently in right now and addresses every possible thing, free expression, weaponization of justice, attack on the Supreme Court, media, Democrat, Democratic fusion, the issues of race, sex, and the universities. And I was wondering if you could give us an overview of w- what this article is about and what, what you hope to point you hope to make. You never know about articles. You know, if you write two weeks, the ones that you like go nowhere, and the ones that you thought were sort of commonplace take off. This one happened to go viral, and I wasn't, I didn't think it would when I wrote it because it seemed self evident. And what I was trying to say is that this revolution that we are in the midst of is holistic. It's not a political revolution like 1776. And it's not, it's not like, you know, some of the uh, revolutions we had in 1848. It's more like the French Revolution of 1789, especially 1791 to 1792, that manifestation of it, or the Bolshevik, or I think really close to... Mao's second revolution, 66 to 69, the cultural revolution. By that, I mean it's holistic. It's not about politics. It's not about Trump or conservatives versus Biden and Democrats. It's not about whether you want to spend this amount of money or that or that 
amount of money taxes. It's more than that. It's that, but it's more than that. It spans every aspect of our being. And I mean that literally. This revolution now, nobody listening to this right now, if I had said 10 years ago, mark my words, I'm a prophet, 10 years from now, there will be three sexes. And if you, listener, dare say that there are only two and that people who have testicles and a phallus should not go in to a woman's locker room, especially if the women are under 18. And yet, if you were to say that in 10 years, you're going to be ostracized and fired from the job. Nobody would believe it. If I said 10 years ago, we're going to ban cooktops that run on natural gas, natural gas heaters, and we're going to ban V8 engines very quickly because we have to transition by forcing the middle class to take a big hit on green energy. No one would believe it. If I said to you professors, if you professors get up in class and you say that you want the border closed or you believe that biological men should not compete in female sports, or if you say the case has not been made that government has the ability without catastrophic results in a cost-benefit analysis to address supposed man-made climate change, you're going to lose your job. Say any of those three, you're out. They wouldn't believe you. If I said 10 years ago, there is no border. It's not that the border is porous like it was under Obama. It's not that federal immigration law is lax. There is no border. It's been destroyed. There is no corpus of federal immigration law. Seven million people have crossed the border. We don't know if they have leprosy. We don't know if they have tuberculosis. We don't care if they do. And it's our duty to put them up in hotels through all of our major cities, give them a cell phone, waive any legal consequences for their continued illegal residence in the United States and more to come. And we're going to be told by the Mexican government that it is our duty to treat these citizens as if they were their citizens as if they were ours. Nobody would believe that. If I said 10 years ago, 70% of the people who vote will not vote any longer on election day. We're going to go from 30% absentee to 70. And we're not going to use the word absentee. We're going to call it mail-in balloting or early ballot. And the rejection rate of those ballots is going to plummet because we're going to change the voting laws so radically that it's almost impossible to authenticate a mail-in ballot vis-a-vis a registered name on a registrar's list. Nobody would believe that. Nobody would believe that. If I said, there's going 10 years ago, there's going to be a riot. It's not going to be like the Watts riots or the Rodney King riots or the riots that followed Martin Luther King. There's going to be 120 days. There's going to be $2 billion in damage. 35 people are going to be killed. 1,500 officers. They're going to torch a federal courthouse, a police precinct, a historic church in Lafayette Square. They're going to try to get to the White House, and nobody's going to pay a price for that. It's going to be pretty much fine. If I said, in addition to all this, 
then four consecutive FBI directors are either going to lie under oath to Congress or to a federal investigator, or they're going to deny and claim amnesia things that they knew were true, whether Mueller or Comey or McCabe or Ray. Nobody would believe me. If I said to them, the CIA director is going to lie two times under oath and admit nothing's going to happen to him. So is the director of national intelligence. Mr. Clapper, if I said the FBI 10 years ago, if I said the FBI will be caught hiring Twitter to suppress news so they can warp the 2020 election, nobody would believe me. If I said 10 years ago, hey, just watch this, this upcoming 2016 election, the 2020 and the 2024 election. The FBI and the DOJ are going to warp. In 2016, they're going to concoct this lie that Donald Trump urinated on prostitutes because he was mad at Obama, who stayed in the same hotel room, and he wanted it known that he did that to the sheets and that he was working for Vladimir Putin. And that will be a complete lie. And we will doctor FISA affidavits if we have to. We will hire foreign nationals to work on the Clinton campaign if we have to. We will do anything we have to. Nobody would believe it. If I said in 2020, the candidate for president's son is a crackhead who's com committed several felonies, many of which in action and in medias rebus are on the computer and to stop that from being known, the FBI is going to take it, hide it for a year, and then tell Twitter not to put any news out other than it's a Russian disinformation ploy. It's not authentic, even though when they, nobody would believe it. If I were to say 10 years ago, they're going to indict an ex-president of the United States for taking out documents that there was a dispute over or for overvaluing his real estate in New York, or for having Stormy Daniels sign a non-disclosure that he probably had some tawdry relationship with, or that he made a phone call to a attorney general in Georgia complaining that he thought that the voting wasn't going right and looking and having directing him or asking him to go look for things, which the attorney general refused. And he was going to be tried, not impeached again because he's out of office, but tried and looking at 500 likely indictment. Nobody would believe it. So what I'm yeah. getting at is whether we look at sex, whether we look at the law, whether we look at the destruction of law, shoplifting, whether we look at the border, whether we look at these weaponized agencies, it's every aspect of our life. You know, when you want yeah. to, the, the person who's listening to this is thinking, if he lives in California, to take one example, should I go buy a pickup? When do you think they're going to outlaw it? Should I diet, buy a diesel pickup? When they're going to outlaw that? When I get my new home, I can't have a gas cooktop or gas hot water heater in it? That's not allowed. It's cheaper. No, you can't. Can you? Could we close the border? No, we can't close the border. No, 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 no. Can we just say that men can't walk around naked in front of my 14-year-old daughter in the 
locker, locker room? room? No, we can't. I'm sorry, Mr. Mr. Listener. We can't do that. Can we just say that my little store, I don't have any money and I can't allow a guy with a garbage can with wheels to come in and just rake stuff off my shelves that I have to clean up and I'm going to lose the inventory and just walk out. I can't stop him and hit him. No, no, you can't. You cannot do that. Can you at least say that you, that you can question an election? You you can think uh, Stacey Abrams did. In fact, in Georgia, she not only questioned it, but one of her supporters in the Georgia legislature, who's now a congresswoman, she tried to shut down the, the Georgia legislature physically demonstrated and tried to stop the vote. Did anybody ever charge him with insurrection? No, they didn't. No, 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 no. You don't understand. The country has changed in the tenure. It's in the middle of a cultural revolution, and it affects everything. If I had said 10 years ago, hey, did you see a, ver- did you see a rerun the other night of uh, Kill a Mockingbird? Oh, yeah, I love that movie. Gregory Peck, it was so great. Did you know it was racist? No, no, you don't understand. It was it was a courageous movie talking about the evils of race. No, 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 no. It was white supremacy, white paternalism, and we're going to ban that book. Are you insane? You don't ban Penthouse. And the person, <laughs> said, the person would say, and you know what we're not going to ban? We're not going to have graphic novels in K through eight libraries that have male genitalia inserting into other people's orifices. We're not going to ban that because we need to discuss the normative toxic family model. So nobody would believe any of this. And it, it, so I don't know how the I could add. Stars. I could. Yeah, I could add to your thing. I just talked to a friend of mine who is a poly political science teacher at a community college, and he said that when he gets to the civil rights era, which, you know, there were obviously legitimate complaints in that period, he has students in his class now that start rolling their eyes. So people are getting, you know, even in things that have legitimate historical, you know, uh, grievances there, et cetera. He, there, people are just getting really, really tired of well, this cultural revolution. I mentioned the French Revolution, but we there was a term called the Thermidor reaction, and they took the guillotine of the Robespierre brothers and did what? They put them on it, and they stopped it, and then of course. The French Revolution ended up with Napoleon. And so that's the, you know, there's going to be an end to it because there, if there is not an end, there, there's not, I mean, there's it's not sustainable. You can't have uh, 50 years of women's sports progress destroyed by biological males that go into sports. And we know that females that go transition to Men don't do well in men's sports. So let's just make a trans. We can't do that, though, can we? Basically, yeah. we're destroying women's sports. We're even changing the idea of pedophilia. It used to be a, a hallmark of the left that they were they were the ones that kept pushing. It was a sign of civilization. They would make fun of the South in the 50s and 60s. They'd say, huh, age of consent 13 in Georgia. Can you believe those hicks? We want it to be 18. Yeah. And now what are they doing? They're trying to 
suggests that children can should be sexualized through exploration of alternate lifestyles and transitioning with the most graphic type of uh, instruction, visual and otherwise, with big pharma's dangerous chemical regimens and with uh, the AMA's uh, surgical practices, all the places that we were told to be suspect of by the way. It's yeah. it's really it's really remarkable this cultural revolution. On that women's sports, in five to ten years, you're just going to have men's sports and then trans sports, and they will be all men and women. There will be no women's sports because they'll have just well they'll call it women, but it will be all trans. And it was everything that everything that they fought against in the Olympics with the Russians who were trying to let, change it to that. <laughs> let me ask you that because you ask about Megan Rapinoe. She's 38 years old, and now she's a big advocate of transitioning men playing in yes. women's sports. But here's the question. She's 38. This is her last, this is her sunset years. Do you really believe that when she was 18 and nobody knew who that blank she was, and she was at the University of Oregon, and she was just a face in a crowd, and she was trying to hone her skills to be noticed, to make the college uh, women's, you think she would have? liked it if some six point six foot three inch 200 pound guy wore a dress and took some hormones and said i'm going to compete against you megan you think she would have liked it then no no no, no. that's what i meant when she's a narcissist you yeah. know it, it reminds me of i don't know what it, it's very similar what's going on in our life and that is that um we need people to stand up and say no. And there's a guy, um, I shouldn't say a guy, there was a very skilled, I just thought of him, Leo Amory, and he was a British statesman and diplomat. And he, he was from a middle-class family, but he was very bright. He's a polymath. I think he grew up in India, as I remember. But he was in the parliament on the conser in the conservative party. And remember, there had been two conservative governments, Stanley Baldwin, and then Neville Chamber right on the eve of World War II. And Churchill had been ostracized and was out in the wilderness. He wasn't, he was a backbencher basically. And he was trying to make the argument they needed to build hurricanes and later spitfires because Hitler was no damn good and he was going to take over Europe. And it was the conservative government, not that the, le the left, the labor government was left anyway. And so the conservative governments were in alliance with the left, partly later because of the Molotov, Ribbentrop, Soviet, Hitler, Nazi pact. But my point is this. Nobody would wake Britain up to the dangers they were in. And this Churchill was trying and trying. And he had some, you know, he had some great people around him. But one of them was this obscure guy named Leo Amory. And right after the war broke out, that is when the Germans invaded Poland, Neville Chamberlain, for the first few hours, uh, was hesitating. You know what I mean? Hesitating. And as he hesitated, the labor parties was turned to reply, and uh, Clement Attlee was not there. 
and he wasn't uh, he wasn't there in the debate. And so the question is, what is Britain going to do? And one of the labor surrogates for Kim, Clement Attlee got up and said, I'm going to speak for labor, i.e., I'm going to tell you what labor thinks about whether we should honor our commitment to Poland on whether we should respond to Germany's invasion in the last 48 hours. And Leo Amory got up and said, his name was Arthur. He said, Arthur, speak for England, meaning don't speak for labor, speak for England. And Mm. the whole, the entire uh, chambers just stopped and uh, nobody could believe it. And he wasn't, and he became almost immediately famous for that. And the same thing happened again. And that was right after the debacle of the Norway campaign. Are you trying to suggest we're in a similar time that somebody yes. could stand up like Riley Gaines, maybe? Or Yes, she, she's one. But my point is that right, you know, right in this debacle in 1940 and Chamberlain was just wasn't a bad person, but he was just totally unsuited for standing up to a man like Hitler. And he was equivocating and he was trying. And so it was in. It was right after they, it was right on the eve, as I remember, of the invasion of France and right after Norway. And Leo Amory uh, was an ally of Leopold. His name was Leo, but I could call him. He had to say something in the, to Chamberlain. And he, he thought of what that famous, um, statement of Oliver Cromwell. And I, th- I know everybody knows it when 1653, when Cromwell told Parliament and he was talking about the end of um, Charles I's reign. And so he quoted it by memory. And here's what he said to Chamberlain after he gave this long wishy-washy sort of Joe Biden-like speech. He said, you have sat too long here for any good you've been doing. In the name of God, go. Depart, I say, and let us have done with you. In the name of God, go. And everybody just was stunned. And that was the end of yeah. Neville Chamberlain. Because yeah. shortly later, they invaded. A few days later, they invaded France. France, And then they had to go to Churchill to save them. But those mm. two moments of that guy's life really changed the entire complexion of British public opinion, and he yeah. and he 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 was a very learned guy. He, I mean, later he had some successes. I think he was a viceroy or something in India. But we need somebody like that that can just encapsulate with a historical. You know, imagine got somebody saying to the prime minister, "You stayed here too long. Be gone with you. Mm-hmm. Let us let us have rid of you." Or Speak for England. We don't want to hear about labor. Speak for America. We don't want to hear about it. Just speak for America. Mm-hmm. Or if somebody said to Joe Biden, you know, we're sick and tired of Bidenomics. We're sick and tired of lying about your knowledge of Hunter Biden. We're sick and tired of the woke revolution you unleashed on us. We're sick and tired of all these stupid stories about your son dying in Iraq. When he said that the other day to a woman who'd lost a son in Afghanistan, I know what it was like. We had a flag-draped coffin come from our son, too. 
Can you imagine that? Gosh, if somebody had just got up in the Senate and said, you've been here too long, we've had be gone with you. And yeah. we don't we don't have anybody like that. No, no one to do that. Yeah, I, I, I don't see it happening that any statesman is going to say, you know, I don't care anymore. Yeah. This can't go. This can't go on. You can't have. You can't take a city like San Francisco and destroy it or a fentanyl city in Oakland, or homeless people defecating in front of people, or people walking out with stuff that you own in your own store and you can't do anything about it, or putting a guy on in legal jeopardy because he tried to stop somebody threatening people on a subway. It just, it can't go on. And we need people to call it out. We and sure I, do. We do. And that's why, you know, it, it's very funny that there's, there's certain people who are, sta- that you wouldn't you wouldn't uh, think. I mean, I, I, I'm not a big fan of Bill Maher, but man, he, he's saying it like it is. I can't believe it. And Matt Taibbi, I think, has attacked me. He says it like it is. The other day, I read this uh, article by this former leftist, Sasha Stone. I remember she used to write diatribes about Trump. She's had it. And you know, I always, I was always a big fan of Megyn Kelly, but I never associated Me- Megyn Kelly with just anger at the nonsense maybe it was her position you know as an anchor woman but gosh you listen to her podcast and i've been on a lot of them she just says it like she is she's had it and those are the types of profiles that we need that from all across the political spectrum yes that's for sure you can't go on it it just can't you can't have universities that don't follow the first amendment you can't do it and you know, you can't have a federal judge go to Stanford University and have an ambush pre-planned where the Stanford administrator gets up, tells, takes the podium, and then reads a prepared script about how it's the federal judge's fault that people are yelling things like, we want to rape your daughter. At Stanford Law School, you can't, you can't, that's not a law school when that happens. So we should all look for those people according to their station and honor them because we really need people to speak out. It doesn't matter what party. It doesn't matter what ideology. Just this country has so much potential and it's got everything, farmland and fuel, protect great military, great, you know, and we're destroying it. Yeah. And nobody's saying a word. Somebody's got, is there going to be one three-star general, one four-star general who says, you know what? I ain't going to go to work for General Dynamics when I get out of here. Ain't going to happen. I don't. You can take Lockheed and stick it up your rear end. I don't want anything to do with them. And you know what? I'm not going to promote anybody in my division that is not competent. I want to be diverse. That's a nice thing to have. But you know what's more important? Put the bullets on the target, the shells on the target, the bombs on the target. That's what I want and see what happens to him. Just have somebody say that. And instead, you, you never know. They might have had somebody say that and they were demoted, right? <laughs> oh, thinking it's that. It's possible. Yeah. Or, or, wow. I mean, look at, <laughs> I shouldn't say that. I mean, I, I watched my two colleagues and myself go up in front of the Stanford faculty senate. My crime was saying things on Tucker Carlson. I had a whole transcript of, I think, 30 appearances where I had to go through did I say this? Did I say this? Yes. No. Yes. Oh, Stanford Studio. Uh, I have a 
uh, a Fox appointment. Oh, you can't come unless you write out everything in advance what you're planning to say. No thanks. Or yeah. Scott Scott Atlas's crime was <laughs> Scott Atlas's crime, as I said before, before the Stanford faculty senate was. There'll come a time when you will start to understand the lockdowns did more damage than the virus, and there will no. come a time when the virus's vaccination will not protect you from being infected or being infectious, and there is such a thing as natural immunity, and you'll be happy that it exists. And that was a felony. Anyway. All right. Well, Victor, let's go to our last break and then come back and talk a little bit about the campaign. Stay with us and we'll be back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back. Well, Victor, I know that you wanted to talk a little bit about the campaign, and I I was wondering maybe if I could bring in one um, story by Jonathan Turley, who is, um, of course, probably one of the more respected lawyers. He used to be very left-wing, but with all of this Trump stuff, his a lot of his writings tend to support Trump. And in a recent article, he has written that, I believe it's titled, Trump Indictment May Backfire on Biden. He argues that to convict Trump of lying to citizens or disinformation would turn the camera on or the look to Biden in all of his lies and disinformation. And and they, as other people, he says, well, all candidates or not all, but candidates tend to have things that could be labeled disinformation or even lying, but free speech protects these political endeavors. And so I was wondering if you had some thoughts on that before you talk about the campaign more. Well, just remember that Joe Biden had his campaign stalwart, the now Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, on the eve of his debate with Donald Trump in 2020 in late October, right before the actual balloting, or what used to be the actual balloting, right before the 30% left who would ballot on Election Day. He had him round up 50 intelligence, quote unquote, authorities to swear to something that they knew was a lie. And I said that Joe Biden knew that was a lie because it was his own son. And he knew that the emails and things that were on there, some of them referred to him. And he knew Hunter Biden and he knew Hunter Biden had lost that laptop. And yet he said to the world on a debate stage, that is not Hunter Biden's laptop. That's a product of Russian information. He knew that was a lie. He knew that his campaign had cooked it up, that they had rounded up a bunch of 
amoral people to swear against what they knew was true, something that was false to be true, true to be false. He knew it, and that had enormous ramifications. There had been a poll after the election said if people had known that that laptop was completely accurate and the son of the president of the United States was writing things like to his daughter, you know, I don't take half your income like my dad, Joe, does. And the big guy and Mr. 10 percent, that would have affected their vote. So what would you do in this new legal climate now for a... Let's say Trump or DeSantis gets elected. They have a DOJ. He's pretty conservative. And he says, hmm, they went after Donald Trump for saying things that were lies that he knew were lies. He knew they were lies. He didn't. He wasn't just mistaken. He knew they were lies, number one. And number two, they had enormous consequences about the election, but not enough to throw them just to attempt to throw them, so to speak. So then this conservative prosecutor says, well, okay, that, that's what they got Trump on. So I'm going to indict Joe Biden because he said things that did affect an election and were meant to. And he said it on a national stage. And he knew when he said them, they were false because it was his own son's laptop. And he knew that. And he lied. So he's going to be indicted. Is that what we want? And that's what Turley was talking about. You can get every. Why is Stacey Abrams out, not arrested? She did her utmost in a conspiratorial fashion to canvass the country to overturn the election in Georgia. As I said, one of her friends in the Georgia legislature physically tried to disrupt the voting of the of the legislature to approve the popular vote. Why aren't they in jail and indicted? That woman's a congressman now. So he's saying that if you're going to you're going to set these precedents, the only where I disagree with him is I have said the same thing. Well, this is I think I wrote a, uh, an article called the boomerang the Democratic. Boom. They have said that you, it's going to be easy to impeach a president in his first term. They have said you can try a president for a phone call. They have said uh, you can impeach him for a phone call. They can say you can try him as a private citizen, even though he's no longer president. They said you can impeach a president twice. That's all new. That's going to boomerang. I don't know if it is, because I think the right or the conservatives, partly they don't believe in all this stuff. They don't believe in tit for tat. They play by the Marcus of Queensbury rules. They're not probably going to impeach. And they don't have the media. They don't have the foundations. They don't have the university. They don't have the corporation. They don't have popular culture. So it's very hard. But they are setting standards in a perfect world that would condemn themselves. Yeah. They really yeah. would. I mean, if you really want to go after somebody, the person I would have gone after is Chuck Schumer. That guy got in front of a mob, right in front of a mob at the doors of the Supreme Court. And he yelled out, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, you reap, you sowed the wind and you're going to reap the whirlwind. You're not going to know what hit you. That's a direct threat. At a time, not much later, people were massing at their homes. And so... What is that? That is that stronger or weaker? What Donald Trump said when he said, "Walk over peacefully and protest at the Capitol." Which is worse? 
I don't know. But what's what Turley's point is for every indictment, every one of the 500 you get for Trump, you can indict a lot of people if you want to. And he's saying now you might want to because you've reduced politics to lawfare. And so if you're a New York developer right now and you're taking out a half a billion dollar loan and you say your five skyscrapers are worth, I don't know, 1.8 billion when you know they're worth 1.2 billion or you think they are, are they going to say that's fraud? That's what they're going after Trump for. Let's say that you're going to run for governor of New York or you're going to go governor of California and you remember that I don't know, 15 years ago, you were drunk at a convention. You had sex with a woman and you don't quite know what happened. So you're going to get a campaign aide to go hunt her down like Joe, uh, Bill Clinton's team did. Remember that? The, what did they call that? They called it. I don't a, know. A, I didn't they, hear that. one. Yeah. They called it bimbo eruptions. Oh, yes. That was Remember? the whole thing. Yes, yeah. Yes. They were they were erupting everywhere coming out. There were hundreds of them, literally. And and they went to each of them and they threatened them or they got non-disclosure. Well, if, if you were going to do that, are you going to end up being indicted for not reporting that as a campaign expense? Well, it depends on what ideology you are. Hillary Clinton got fined over $100,000. That was nothing. But she fraudulently and illegally listed the salary she paid to steal and indirectly, I suppose, to Dushenko. And she said they were campaign legal expenses when they were mm. just they were just illegal payments to foreign nationals to participate on a campaign. that It's illegal to do so. Yeah. So that's what Turley is trying to say that. Yeah, that goes back to this. The third book of Thucydides, I was thinking just now, you know, there, there's a very famous passage at Corsaira, modern Corfu. And the Athenians and Spartans have surrogates within the city of Corsaira, and they're each trying to overthrow the other. The Athenians want to put a radical democracy. The Spartans want to get an oligarchy back in power. And each side starts to butcher each other and to destroy. And at one point, this chaotic cycle, Thucydides narrates it, and he says, it's very dangerous, I'm paraphrasing, but it's very dangerous in human affairs to destroy institutions and laws and customs and traditions because you never know when you're going to be out of power and in need of their safety or refuge. And that's exactly what the Democratic Party is doing. They're destroying all of our institutions. You know, they're going after the Supreme Court. They're weaponizing the DOJ. They've destroyed the FBI. They have politicized the CIA. They've institutionalized Scott Free Line by our intelligence hierarchy. They've taken the Pentagon and they've turned it into a left-wing woke. I don't know what we call it. And do they think that after that example, when the Republicans come back in, they won't do the same thing, only in reverse? Is that what's going to happen? So that's what's really bothersome. And I don't know what the answer to it is. Half of me says, I have this two little, I go back to my old metaphor. I have two little animals now, people on my shoulders, Sammy. One is this little right-wing angel dressed in white, and it's whispering in my right ear, and the other little devil is whispering, he's bright red in my left ear. This is kind of a, a lot of cartoons have that. And the little devil is saying, hey, hey, Victor, no, 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 you don't understand. 
those SOBs, they won't ever learn unless they get their own medicine. You talk about deterrence, you should know what deterrence is. You got to make them pay. And only if you make them pay, will they stop it. You let them do it. And you think they, you think you're going to apply the markers of Queensbury rules to Hitler? No, 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 no. Just give them some of their own medicine, make them swallow it, and then they'll stop. And the other little right wing angel says, no, no, Victor, do we really, we're better than that. We want to employ their methodologies. Then we're just like them. Then what would happen to the Republic? Tit for tat, tat for tit, as we descend into, you know, internal war. Hobbesian conflict. So let's not, let's be bigger than that. Don't you remember the Sermon on the Mount? We're not, we're not 72 virgins in paradise. We're the Sermon on the Mount people. So let's just turn the other cheek. So it has to be one of those two. Mm, Devil or angel. (laughs) Well, Victor, did you have um, things that you wanted to talk about? I know we talk about the campaign all the time, but I I thought you had new things on that you've noticed recently. Yeah, just recently, uh, today, we're speaking on a Tuesday. Ron DeSantis um, removed his former campaign manager had done very well in Florida during the state race, Janera Peck, and got others. And he's giving pointed interviews on the major networks, often to hostile hosts. He's doing pretty well. So that is something that everybody says is belated. Why didn't he do that earlier? But that's true. But it's August. It's August. I know. It's, it's a long time to go. <laughs> I know. I'm thinking, no, 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 no. It's fluid. I keep writing the same damn call and over. It's fluid. It's not November even of 2024. It's, it's 23, 23. We've got a year and three months. My God. So everybody can pivot. So he's pivoting and he's picked up a few points in some of the state races. And uh, it's very funny that Mike Pence now is at open war with Donald Trump. It's very funny. Mike Pence had a point. He said that what Trump asked me to do as vice president is not to hand over the results and certify them in Congress, but to delay it and allow times for investigation or alternate electors, sort of what the left did in those 2016 commercials where they begged all the electors to go renegade and not reflect their state popular vote tallies. But uh, it's really weird because now he's he called them, uh, he really insulted all the Trump lawyers. And then he attacked Trump. He said, I'm, Trump was against the Constitution. And then Trump fired back, and now they hate each other's guts, I suppose. And uh, it's it's kind of it's you get back to Trump's idea of loyalty, and then Pence is trying to say that he's loyal, but he's loyal to the Constitution. But my problem with the whole thing is that if I were Pence, I would have two things on my mind. My political career in Indiana was coming to a close. And Donald Trump picked me out of that descent and made me vice president. And I owe him something for that. And what do I owe him? I owe him the following. When they ask me about what Donald Trump did or not do, I would say this. 
I wouldn't just as a now rival candidate trash him as if he's 100% in the wrong. I would have said the following. I didn't do what Donald Trump asked me to do because I had a different opinion. I felt that I was on the side of the Constitution. And at that particular moment, he was not. So I acted accordingly. However... There were larger cosmic forces and conditions that made Donald Trump so desperate and angry that he asked me to do something in other times he wouldn't have. And what were they? They were systematic pre-election changes in the voting law. So we went from a nation that voted 70% on election day to 30% without proper guard guardianship to authenticate our stewardship of mail-in and early ballot. So if you read Molly Ball's uh, famous Time essay about the cabal, her words, the conspiracy, there were forces that tried to warp the manner in which we elected to the detriment of Donald Trump, and he reacted accordingly in anger. And I don't blame him for that. I just couldn't go along with that particular line of request. That's all he had to say. And he's he squared the circle. He showed that he was not disloyal to Donald Trump, and he was not going to try to overturn the election using his office of vice president. He couldn't do that. Yeah. Instead, he used the occasion to attack Trump and make him sound like he was some kind of outlaw. So you can't do that. No. Well, Victor, we're at the end of our show, and I have some comments from our readers. Um, this one is... Uh, titled My Favorite Human to Listen to. I usually listen to each episode twice and sometimes more. He helps me improve my thinking, knowledge, and perspective. It helps me to pass it on to others I meet and family members. More, Most importantly, it helps me to keep me sane in the most insane time we are living in. And I like this part of it, Victor. Have you ever considered turning the farm into a winery? If Nancy and Gavin can make it work, then it's got to be very profitable. Thank you and your family. And that's from 1961, Richie. Um, and I thought maybe that would be a good topic, why certain um, crops are are planted in certain areas and others are not sometimes we'll talk we about, do agriculture. Yeah, we yeah. will. But the, the main problem is that it's 108, 107 at times here and on like the Napa Valley, much less uh, Mendocino and other places. There's no cooling breezes at night. It can be 85 at night. So it's too hot. So we have grapes. I made raisins. I had vineyards. We had 90 acres of raisins and 30 acres of table grapes. I did that for at least 10 years with my brothers. Yeah. But yeah, uh, we definitely can, will. Oh, I can tell uh, the answer I'll give is I was going to a club once of uh, pretty good, pretty well off people, and somebody said, uh, What do you do? Where do you live? And I said, Oh, I'm a professor and I live in a farm and kind of farm. What do you farm? And I said, uh, Grapes. He goes, Oh, where? I told him where. And he goes, Oh, you're in Gallo wine country, aren't you? <laughs> not, I'm not making fun of Gallo wine, but Gallo made a fortune by blending uh, bulk wines that in this area that you can get 15 to 30 tons an acre on because it's hot 
and you can get, and you can water the water them to the death, and you can blend them, but they're not good grapes for wine. That's Napa Valley and places, you know, on sideways well, sideways country near Santa Barbara. Yeah, but, but uh, I think Gallo back 20 years ago w- was famous for making very cheap wine, but no, now no, their, their label is not that anymore. No, no, it isn't. I, I didn't want to slur them. They're, they're, yeah. They have, they, and even the cheap wines, they serve a market. People don't have money. They want to drink wine. Gallo gave a wine for them. Yeah. And now they're more upscale. But yeah. what I'm getting at is they're from Modesto and, yeah. they, and they had to buy the wines that were around them. So we can make a lot. Our problem is here, the soil is not thin and stony or like it is in Napa. It's thick. And that's great for table grapes and raisin grapes. And it produces, it's full of nitrogen and produces great crops. But you you don't make great wine when you're producing 25 tons an acre of of, um, wine grapes and you're you're irrigating them every 15 days for or, you know, eight hours a day on drip to keep the vine going. So that's why. But, you know, there's a lot of people around that use the word winery. I've noticed that, uh, Sammy, they have kind of convention areas where they have old Victorian kind of farmhouses like a mine. And then they uh, they kind of fix them up. I have three acres and then 40 something acres around it. And they turn it into kind of a headquarters and they invest some money and make a pavilion like the packing shed I have. And then they host it for celebrations. Yeah. But they have to have a cachet, so they call it winery. So I could call it, what would I call it? Mountain View Winery, something yes. like that. And then I'd have to get some barrels and get somebody to, <laughs> I don't know, I'd have to plant some vineyard, tear out the almonds and replant all the vineyards. But yeah, I, I think when I'm gone, uh, I think my two children have talked about because I begged them not to sell it, and and they uh, they have their own busy lives, and they're not in this area. And they've said that that would be an alternative to keep it, maybe make enough money so they could pay the taxes and the upkeep. Yeah. Well, the last comment is for Jack, and it says Jack Fowler, and you got five stars on it, and it says I think Jack is great. He's an excellent interviewer. Don't listen to them, Jack. Keep doing what you're doing. And that goes for you, Mr. Hansen. Love from Canada, Tim C. 47701. I'm Jack's biggest fan. Jack Jack and I go way, way back. 20-something years when I watched. He was the voice of reason at National Review. I drove him crazy. I would call him up and say, Jack, did you know today in National Review that person? And I would mention one of the, the crazy writers that wrote this. And he'd say, Victor, my job as publisher is to make sure that my team, kind of like my village, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that's in uh, For Whom the Bells Tolls, that Gary Cooper movie. But my team gets the widest possible play. I have no favorites. We can disagree, but he was an utter professional. He always was. And he's a dear friend. And uh, yeah. anytime you get a, a friend, I have about 10 friends like Jack, and that's not a lot. But I was thinking that the other day. There's guy Bruce Thornton at Cal State Fresno and Hoover Institution, Scott Atlas, um, Tom Connor, Mark Kalkoff, Al Phillip at Hillsdale, and uh, Jack Fowler. 
There's a, I have a few, I'm been, I've been very, very Rebecca Mercer. God, just so many nice people I've known. Yeah. All right, Victor. Well, that's it for us today. That's the end of the show. And thanks to our listeners for listening. And thank you all for uh, tuning in again. Is that the word tuning in? I guess. Tuning in. And we're signing out. And we're signing. <laughs> tune in. Signing off. off. <laughs> yeah, we're not turning, turning on. We're tuning in and dropping off right now. All right. Okay. This is Sammy Wink and Victor Davis Hansen, and we're signing off. <laughs>